morning. Welcome to South Fork Congregational. Please join with me in our responsive call to worship that you'll find in your bulletins. Thank you, God, for the gifts of life and love that you give us each day and that we are able to share together once again at this moment. And thank, thank you for all the very gifts of hope, encouragement, strength, and fresh possibilities, the tools for our life. With the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, may we take all of the gifts and resources that you provide and use them to the fullest of our potential. In our worship and in our life, we ask for you to be with us every step on our journey and to guide us in our actions, speak to us words we need to hear, and to let your spirit change us, charge us, and empower us to be your people. Your people of bold courage, faith, and love. It is with this spirit that we come to worship and rejoice together today. Please join with me in prayer. Loving God, even though we are amazed at all that you do in this world, we admit that too often we are too slow of heart to believe and accept our role as your helping hands and as your co-creators and caretakers of this world and of one another. And yet, opportunity after opportunity for us to care and to mend the brokenhearted and uplift the downtrodden abound. What a gift to be a part of it. What a gift to have such awareness and what a gift to have such uplifting possibilities and meanings at our fingertips. But it takes some courage on our part, God, to say yes to everything that you offer. And although we may not always be ready to take that risk, here we are again today, gathered for your adventure of life once again. Here we are, Lord. May we be your instruments as we continue to open ourselves to your spirit, your encouragement, to your support, and to your surprises. This we pray in the spirit of Christ as we join together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship here at Southport Congregational Church. We are thrilled to have you with us wherever you are on your faith journey. Um, as I run through just a couple of announcements, I would ask that you take the friendship registers found on the outside aisles of your pews, uh, sign in, write us a note. If you're new with us, add your um, contact information so that we can get in touch with you to share more about our great church here. Um, I want to begin with a heartfelt thank you for your prayers and concern for our family. <laughs> that didn't take long. I was so like, I can do this. I can do this. For our family last week, um, it is uh, our, as, as we sent out the message, um, our, our brother-in-law, my sister's husband, was found um, safely and is now uh, seeking treatment, which is the best thing for all of us. Um, it, you know, mental health is an important thing, and it's a physical thing. It is not a, a choice. It is just something that happens to you, and um, I just take this moment to stand on my pedestal as it is um, to say taking meds when prescribed is a very important thing to do. Um, no shame in it, no nothing, um, and when you don't, bad things can happen. Um, and so we are thrilled that this ended the way it did. And um, my sister Jody, whom many of you know, appreciates so much um, your love and care, as we all do. Paul's going to talk a little bit more about um, that in his sermon, so I don't want to say too much more lest I steal something that he was going to say. But um, from the bottom of all of our hearts, thank you. Uh, and following along in our theme of self-imposed Southport Congregational Church Mental Health Awareness Month, um, we have Dr. Lisa Miller joining us today for our second hour. She has written uh, two books. The first is A Spiritual Child, which she did a presentation here a number of years ago. And the second one is The Awakened Brain, talking about how spirituality and faith actually helps our brains um, be and, and live and perform at their fullest. So that will be in the library, um, and I hope you all will join us. She's just a fabulous speaker and someone worth, worth listening to. Um, if you would like to make Southport Congregational Church your official spiritual home next Sunday at 4 o'clock, we are hosting um, a, a meeting for anyone who is looking um, for that. Um, so join Paul and I and deacons and some members of the church as we share with you um, more uh, intimately about the church family here. Um, and speaking of church family, you definitely want to join us because um, if you didn't go to Oktoberfest on Friday night, you missed out on something spectacular. Um, so a huge thank you to Hetty Mosier and Robin Marshlow, Annie Lillis and Betsy Gillespie for really what was an extraordinary, <laughs> Oktoberfest extraordinaire. Um, so thank you to our, our, our quartet there of just, it was great. Um, we are currently running our holiday food drive in which we provide food for families who um, are in need. Uh, that We will be resending the link on Tuesday if you missed it the first time. I think we're at about 40% of what we need. Um, and I'll just say, please make a note that when you sign up for something, most of them are for multiple 
um, pieces. So it would be like for five cans of corn or five something. Or um, So just make sure when you're signing up that you're doing the math in your head. Like if you sign up for five of something, you're probably going to bring me 25 of them. Okay, just, just as a reminder. Um, if you would please read your bulletin about two really fun things that are coming up. One is we have a call for all artists of all kinds, artists of all kinds that Julianne is going to be doing um, using your art during her sermon on um, Rooms of the View Sunday. And so if you are an artist, uh, please talk with Julianne. And also uh, next week is Laity Sunday. Laity, not lady which many people hear us say Laity Sunday and think, oh, it's Lady Sunday. Why are they having a Sunday for all women? And then men appear, and that gets confusing. But um, laity is a tradition, uh, uh, is a, a term for all of you, non-ordained people, and it's a Sunday in which we celebrate your ministry, um, of which there, it is so grandiose and amazing and fabulous. So uh, Tamberlyn Conopask, our chair of deacons, will be providing the, the sermon, and all the different parts will be done by different members of the church. So very exciting. And then, lastly, it is hard to believe, but in just a little over three weeks, we will have our church decked out with some of the most beautiful interior design uh, vignettes and things that you will ever see anywhere gathered in one place. So to talk about that a little bit more is our Rooms of the View trustee uh, representative, Denise Karen Quinn. Thank you, Laura. Good morning, everyone. Yes, it's going to be our 27th year celebrating Rooms with a View. Uh, similar to last year, we're going to have um, some very interesting additional um, events in uh, addition to the Thursday night gala, which will be on November the 10th. Uh, there'll be a trade event open on the 11th, and then over the course of the weekend, there will be a lecture series as well as some book signings. So we encourage you to take a look at the website. If you've received in the mail your invitation, again, these invitations this year are slightly different. You actually have to open it up. So a few people said, oh, I saw it, it's beautiful, but you have to open it up and then you'll see what's going on because the content is within. Um, we also want to let everyone know that today is the last day for anyone that are church members who wish to buy tickets and to take advantage of the discounted price. So uh, you have until about 12.30 to purchase your tickets here after the service if you feel inclined to do so. And these are the beautiful posters that have been designed for this year. Anyone who lives or works or is in an area within the Fairfield-Westport area where you think that this could be on display to encourage local area people to know about the event, we ask you to stop by the office to pick up a poster so we can uh, spread the word. Thank you so much. Thanks, Denise. And, and just in case you, um, you're wondering what Rooms of the View is, it's actually our, our one and only church fundraiser. It's think like church Christmas fair and then put it on steroids, and that's um, Rooms of the View. So it is, it is our big fundraiser, and your support is uh, very welcome. So we are about to enter into a very exciting part of um, our worship service, and that is our celebration of our third graders. They're receiving their Bibles. And so to start us off, we have our chair presenting a very very uh, fun and exciting um, musical piece for us. 
That was amazing. And um, now I am going to invite all third graders to come on up here with me and Mr. Whitmore. So you guys come up. Mrs. Cruz will take care of you. Make a nice, let me make a nice line over here. Make yourselves front and center. This is your big moment. This is your big moment. All right. So, do you know why this is your big moment? Because you are the 179th, 179th group of third graders to receive your Bibles here at Southport Congregational Church. It started the very first year that this church was incorporated in 1843, and 179 years later, you are now the group. Do you think that they imagined you standing here when they, I don't think so, kind of, right? Handsome, good looking, smart, athletic, musical, tech savvy, they would not have imagined that, right? So. It is a really important part of our church's history. And look, we're actually having people take pictures because we mark this as a historical moment in the life of our church. So when you get your Bible, what does the word Bible mean anyway? Come on, come on. What kind of book, a big book? Little books, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Little books. Excellent score. Amelia was homeschooled in her Bible workshop because she couldn't make it that night. Here's her shout out for homeschooling. Little book. It means little books. There are 66 little books that are contained in, you knew that, in the Bible, in Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, quick question. Where am I going to find stories of Jesus? Old Testament or New Testament? Oh, I got 50-50. I'm putting my bets on Amelia's answer this time around. I'm going to find it in the New Testament. It's new. It's the new promises of God through Jesus, right? So the Bible is such an important book. It's been around. We, you're the 179th. It's thousands and thousands of years old, right? So it has served as a guidebook, kind of like a recipe, kind of like a have you traveled to another country and seen you know, guidebooks tell you all the best places to go and things to stay away from. It's kind of like that. The Bible will tell you what are the behaviors you want to do and what are some of the behaviors you might want to stay away from. Hmm, I know. It's, but it's really a good, fun book. So my hope for you and our hope for you is when you get this Bible, you will open it and you will read it because inside there are secrets. There are secrets that you will only know if you read your Bible. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, all of these people know the secrets, right, people? Yes, yes you're reading your Bible secrets. So you will only know it when you open it, okay? It's got secrets to light, love and happiness and joy. It's got all the good stuff right in there. It also has some really fun fun um, stories about Jesus and what he did and what he meant. So you got to open it. And we actually, you are the first group to get a new Bible, different from the ones we've handed out in the past, because this one is 
um, actually put together. So it's not the whole Bible. We're not giving you all 66 books. But there was an archbishop named Desmond Tutu. Has anyone ever heard of Desmond Tutu? He was, he's, he, you'll, re, you'll hear about him in history classes and stuff. But he, um, he picked out 50 of his most favorite stories. And he had someone illustrate them and write them so that they'll keep your attention, right? And some are Old Testament and some are New Testament. Um, but they're all based on scripture. And then they give you the real scri the, the scripture that it's based on right here so that you could go and look that up with your parents if you want to read more about that story. All right? So since you're for the first class to get this Bible, when you're done reading it, I'd like you to report back to me what you think about it. All right? All right? So it is our pleasure. And I'm going to have Mr. Whitmore hand them out to you. Do you have enough? As we go along. You can just start with Parker. There we go. And congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. Good to see you. Congratulations. All right. Get to reading. Not during church school, though. All right. And church school is where we are going to go now. So uh, if you are K through five, you are welcome to come to the chapel with me. Middle schoolers are going to the youth room with Mrs. Ogun Shui. And um, infants and toddlers can head on down to room five.
morning, church. I think of everything we do, especially those kids singing as prayer. But as we enter into this time of special prayer and contemplation, I do ask you to keep the following people in your hearts and minds and spirits. First, for Irene Santa, who is at home following a surgery at Bridgeport Hospital, we send prayers of healing and of steadfast strength and of humor as always for that special person. And we pray for all those who are healing from recent surgeries and for all those in our congregation and communities who are continuing treatment for various forms of cancer and chemotherapy. So too do we pray for all those going through major life transitions that God may give them strength and courage and discernment as they enter into the unknown. We pray for all those who struggle with mental illness, that they may receive the care that they need, the love that they deserve, and just the grace to continue to battle each day. And we pray for our children, especially our third graders who just received their Bibles, that they may grow in strength and wisdom, just as Jesus did as a young boy. So with all of these thoughts and all those on our minds and hearts and spirits, may we now take our time to come to the Lord. Our loving God, as the leaves turn this time of year, so too do we turn to you. And in doing so, we ignite into color. We reveal what has been inside of us all along, latent, waiting, waiting for transformation, waiting to change how we see ourselves, how we see each other, and how we see the whole forest. We come to you this morning with awe, Lord, for the imaginative work that is done by you, slowly, subtly, one leaf and one tree at a time, and yet if we're not noticing, seemingly all at once. Our lives, our loved ones, ourselves, our children, they all seem to change this way too, Lord. We wake up one morning and the world seems made anew. The colors are different and it reminds us, Lord, that when we slow down, when we pay attention, when we see each moment as a gift, a divine gift from you, and mindfully apply ourselves to the texture of our lives and our days that we will see you, Lord. We will see your color bleeding into our lives. And so we pray, God, that you suffuse our lives with this color, with laughter and love and joy, and so too with depth, Lord. It is only through contrasts that we can see. And so we pray that you ground us and root us in those times that are not filled with laughter. In those times when joy seems hard to find, Lord, may you keep us grounded. May you keep us strong so that we may notice, Lord, when that joy and that wonder arrives. May we see you, God, the forest through the trees, and may you guide us to handle the seasons that come upon our forests and our lives. May we honor each of these seasons. 
May we stand tall when they challenge us, weather us, weary us, give us a chill. And may we still see the beauty, Lord, the pattern and the meaning in this mystery. May we, as your creation, have open spirits, receptive, awaiting and yearning for the color and light and love that you provide to us through all those around us, through each moment, each surprise, each joy. Lord, as the birds call in the trees, so too do our loved ones call to us. And we thank you. We thank you that you always pick up the phone, Lord. That in our time, here in our place, here in your presence, we are yours. And so we pray that you help us to remember this in all its color and beauty, in the name of love incarnate, Jesus Christ. Amen.
I thank God so often that we have the opportunity to listen to music which speaks to our souls. And I thank you, Darwin and Elaine. Because what that does is it causes us to slow down and pay attention. And I've been meditating lately on a quote from the French philosopher, mystic, and activist Simone Weil, which reads, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. I don't think it's a coincidence that we talk of paying attention or giving attention. We use this financial language because what we see and what we notice, what we give our attention to, changes everything. It changes the way we live, changes the way we feel. And so I was, as I was giving my attention to Dr. Lisa Miller's book, The Awakened Brain, that we'll talk about after this service, I found this point. She writes, each and every moment, we have a choice of how we see ourselves in the world. We can live chasing goals and rewards, lost in worries or regrets, or we can awaken to the true fabric of the world, an evolving tapestry that we both behold and help create, in which every thread matters and no strand stands alone. And so thank you for awakening yourselves this morning to give your attention. Thank you for that generosity. And may your generosity of time and of resource flow from this most valuable, purest form of generosity. And it's in this spirit that our morning offering will be taken.
please join with us in our unison prayer of dedication. Receive these gifts, O God, as expressions of our gratitude and loving devotion. May they be infused with your spirit and presence and be used for your purpose to increase your love among us and all people. Amen. we begin, we're going to read our second scripture passage um, together. And then um, during the message, we're going to be looking at the, the first passage. And in the Matthew passage that we're going to read, um, this is Jesus who is speaking. And as you can see, uh, he is very succinct. So let's read together. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened for you. And may God bless our understanding and our living of this word that equips us for life. Amen. Um, as Laura shared her gratitude, I want to begin by sharing my gratitude um, and um, both of ours really for, really for the much needed support um, that you gave um, us as our immediate family and the extended family last weekend. Um, thank you to our terrific staff who kicked in and covered. Um, I know that you all prayed and that Philip Betancourt um, asked for a moment of silence as well. Um, and I wanna thank our deacons, Dave Stewart, um, who was preaching. Thankfully, fortunately, um, he was already scheduled to preach and, and it's weird how these things work. Um, and Davey did a fabulous job. I know I heard a lot of feedback, um, positive feedback. Julianne was supposed to be uh, uh, having the weekend off, um, and she heard the need. We asked, and she said, of course, I will be there. So thank you very much. And just to make sure that we're all on the same page, um, I just want to bring you up to, to speed in case you didn't hear what was happening. So last Friday afternoon, what happened was Laura got a call that our brother-in-law had gone missing. And by that point on Friday afternoon, uh, when we heard it had already been 32 hours, his car had been found by the police in a picnic area. And the police then searched Thursday night for many hours with a canine team that's all trained to find missing people up there in New Hampshire. And there was no trace, no clues. His phone was either not working or turned off or the battery was dead or it was broken. So there was no signal, no tracking. It had already been widely posted by that point on social media and it was on the TV news um, all over the place in New Hampshire, seen by tens of thousands of people, where they shared as part of the message of missing persons that he had been suffering from both depression and mental illness. So Laura and I heard what was going on. Um, I actually happened to be in a meeting at the, at the moment 
He said, excuse me, heard what was going on, and said, I'm sorry, got to go right now. Got an emergency. So because it was in the area that it was in, we packed up our hiking gear as fast as we could. We jumped in the car. Audra, our daughter, made a split decision also that she was going to go with us. Parker said he was going to head up later that night. Um, and we booked it as fast as we could to New Hampshire um, in Columbus Day traffic, which sometimes meant 10 miles an hour. So it took us a while to get up there. And the four days that followed were horrible. One of the most surreal and stressful and scary times of our life and confusing. It was so confusing because we couldn't get a handle on anything. Nothing made sense. Because not only was our brother-in-law missing, but he was at very, very high risk of harm. And to add to the psychological, emotional, medical, um, the temperature was also dropping at night, and it was getting down into the mid to the low 30s. So if he was still alive at that point, the clock was ticking, and as you probably know, after 48 hours uh, when someone is missing, if you don't find that person within that time frame, the statistics get very ugly. And they even get more dim after 72 hours. So we're driving up there, and um, there's a lot of phone calls just going back and forth with, uh, with our brother-in-laws, with his, with his wife, Laura's sister, um, and all sorts of family members. Um, and we're trying to piece things together and they don't make sense. And they don't make sense, part of the reason why is because of the mental illness. What you or I would do, a pattern that we would take, gets thrown out the window. So we're running the timeline. He left home at 7.30 in the morning on Thursday morning. He had a 9.30 appointment. Said he would be home by one. Never returned. At eight, by 8 p.m. that night, uh, after the doctor was called earlier during the day, it's like, what happened? They got the call back at 8 p.m. that night. He never showed up for the appointment at 9.30 in the morning. And then at midnight that night, 16 hours into it, the police found his car, and it's parked in this off-road picnic area. It was parked in a weird way, and there is no struggle, no other clues at all. What happened? What happened? And I, I was actually running it over so many times in my mind, and this is a suggestion that I give to a lot of people, I finally had to write it down on a piece of paper. So it would just stop spinning, 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 spinning. Was he dead? Was he alive? Those were really the, the two main things, two possibilities. Either way, it's a crisis in a different way. If he's alive. Did he wander off by, by accident, or was it on purpose? The way the car was parked, was, was he abducted? Looked like there was a, another car parked next to it. We got there late Friday night, first thing Saturday morning. Now we're into day three, we meet with the police. Uh, wildlife fishing game uh, up there, they do, they do a lot of searches for missing people in the wilderness. 
And they had done their search. It had already been 48 hours. They searched a half mile around the car in a perimeter and were looking at the map and the pattern and everything. Nine dogs, they had drones. And they came up with nothing. And the, the officer, uh, and then we ran into another officer who was there the whole time with the dogs, and they were very, very sympathetic. They were very kind. But in the end, by Saturday morning, they said, this is all we can do. They're done. They said, you know, it's a massive area to search. Who knows what could have happened? They said, you may just want to sit by and wait. He'll probably turn up at some point, one way or the other. And that was their advice. So we said, can we do, are we allowed to do our, our own search? Can we go to the area? And they said, sure, we're done. They did say, though, every person needs to be prepared because we were thinking about children's soccer teams. He was a soccer coach for decades. And he said, every person just needs to be prepared that they might find something that they don't want to see. It would be traumatic. So no youth soccer groups. So now it's in our hands. And so we're running through the questions and try to figure out what to do. What should we do? Well, that all depends on what happened, doesn't it? Did he go hiking? Did he get disoriented? Was he intentionally lost? Did he have a plan or was it spontaneous? Did he take any survival gear with him? No. Did he have a backpack? No, that was still in the car. Water bottle? No, that was still in the car. Money? Nope. Credit cards? We were tracking, no use. How far could he have traveled? We're thinking, well, if he was walking, he was a big hiker. He could, have, he could be 30 miles away by now. Did he have any means of self-harm? Didn't seem like that. How well did he know the area? So we asked for police for maps of the area, and they were wonderful, and they gave them to us, and we started studying them and looking at what is around. Where are the cliffs? Where are the bodies of water? Where are the potential hazards? Where are the potential safety areas? So we made a plan, we organized search teams, we divided into groups, we packed our gear, and off we went. 48 hours missing. We hiked possible trails. We hiked off trail. We were bushwhacking through forests, through swamps, through fields, around lakes and ponds. We made all the calls to all the friends and acquaintances, and, and we checked through and were calling any places that he might have gone to, and by the end of the day with dozens of people hiking miles and miles, still no trace. Saturday night, end of the third day, now, temperatures dropping, we regrouped, we checked out a few camps that we knew that he knew, went from building to building. As the police said, there were more square miles than could possibly be covered. 
So now it's Sunday morning. 72 hours. Our plan takes a somewhat different tack. We learn that most people are found with tips. So we're going to feed that. So we map out all the locations miles out to spread the words of where to post missing persons posters. He was already all over the place with social media, on TV, but not everybody looks at that. So maybe there are some hikers, some people filling up their car with gas, some people in the grocery store. So we designed 300 posters and took them off, got them printed, got plastic sleeves to put them outside, got a bunch of staple guns, got thumbtacks, got tape. Here's a weird thing. You know what Staples does not carry? <laughs> Staples does not carry staples for stapling guns. <laughs> but they did donate half of the posters. So we, <laughs> I know. So we put everything together. We assigned the groups, we split off, off we went knocking on doors, trailheads, gas stations, grocery stores, casting the net, and throughout all of this, people are praying. It's Sunday morning, and I know that you folks are praying. We're praying as a family. Other churches I know are praying. And as the search grew, one of the calls that was made that day, day four, was from our brother-in-law's brother's wife, who's in Florida, someone who she knows lives up there in the area in New Hampshire, where he went missing. So she got her church to start praying, and then that friend from that church went to the site of the abandoned car. And as she put it, when she was there and she was praying, she said, I don't know, I had a thought. I had a thought pop into my mind. She also put it, she said, I felt like I was being guided by God. She got in her car and she drove a mile and a half down the road. She said, I drove right there to this out-of-season campsite that she knew of. And she saw an abandoned cab cabin and she said, I had a feeling there was no one around. By that point in the day, it was all dark on Sunday. She went up, she knocked on the door, no answer. So she opened up the door and she called inside, no answer. She went inside anyway, no lights on, and then she saw a body on the bunk without movement, no response. So she went up. She had never met her brother-in-law, so she only knew what he looked like from the pictures that had been posted. She got up close right to his face and she said his name and she saw his eyes start to flutter open with no food or water in four days. He had been found. He had been found.
Lawrence said he went straight to the hospital and he's still getting help and it's going to be a long road. And now, to our scripture. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Was it a miracle that found him? Did God lead her there? She says absolutely yes. Was faith involved? And that we absolutely know 100% yes. Because of what faith is. Because everything that went on up until that point was like following textbook instructions. We often think about faith as being something that you believe in here. Something that you feel very fervently in your heart and soul. You, you feel it very deeply. But we look at both of these passages and the interesting thing, the fascinating thing, the amazing thing is what Jesus is describing here in both of these passages, Jesus is not talking about faith as a feeling. He's talking about, what is he talking about? Ask, seek, knock. These are verbs. He's talking about faith as, as something that you do, as an action. Not something that, you know, I might consider trying that if I feel like it. I don't know. I don't know if that's for me. I'm not outgoing, really. I just like to pray. He says, no, ask. Seek, knock, do this. These are instructions, verbs. Every one of these words, if you think about it, every one of these things gets set into motion by the person who's doing the asking, seeking, knocking. And it's the direct opposite of, well, I guess God will take care of me. It's the opposite of the person who reels off all of the reasons, you know? All the reasons that absolutely that nothing that is suggested, no, that's not going to help. No, I don't think so. Tried that. Not going to work. Somebody said last week, I think it was Les Miller, he said, you know, some people, if they were drowning and somebody threw them a red lifesaver, they would say, I think I want a blue one. You know, three things that faith requires. Action, faith requires effort, faith requires initiative. Deciding to get off the couch, deciding to make a change, maybe having to get directions of where you need to go. I don't know what to do. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know who to see, if you don't know where to go, you know what? Maybe a friend knows. And then take that first step to knock. And then take the next step and the next step. You know, if you look at the first passage, it's one of my, one of my all-time favorites. It's called The Parable of the Unjust Judge. 
And it's called that because if you read it, this judge is a nasty man. He's a bad man. And the woman decides, in spite of that, he's my only option. I got to get to his house. Where's his house? She's got to find out. Is it far away? Maybe she needs to get directions. So she finds out, she makes a plan, she puts on her shoes, she walks there in the middle of the night, and she knocks, right? And then it says she knocks again, and she came back and back and back again and again. And you go, man, that hurts my knuckles. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to just keep knocking away. He's going to be really angry if he gets up in the middle of the night, yeah. And to add to that, he's not a nice guy being angry. She screws up her courage anyway. What if he yells at me? He's absolutely going to yell at you. Are you kidding? He's going to be brutal. But she knocks again. What if he's not home? Knock anyway. What if it's a waste of my time? Knock anyway. What if I try before and if it didn't work? Keep knocking. Ask around. Seek, knock, persist. You know what? <clears throat> In almost every case where Jesus helped someone in the scriptures, the person who got help is the person who took the effort. The person who took the effort to make it to Jesus, to get there, to call out, to move their body. And some of them did this in extraordinary ways. There was that story, I don't know if you know the, the story of the woman, the, the woman with a flow of blood, and she used her power to access Jesus' power, to push through the crowd, to just touch the hem of his garment so she could be healed. The paralytic, well, he couldn't move at all. So what did he do? He got his friends to help. And they took tremendous effort to carry him to Jesus. And when they couldn't get there, because there was so many, such a crowd around, well, they carried him up to the roof of the house, and then they cut the hole in the roof, and then they dropped him down so that he could be healed. Zacchaeus, he climbed a sycamore tree. There's another paralytic who somehow got himself to a healing pool where Jesus was. Not one of those people were just sitting around waiting to be helped saying, I wish I could be better. Seeking also means taking an inventory of your resources. Who do you know, maybe who knows someone, who knows someone who maybe can help? Asks not, climb a tree. Climb a tree. Go in, go to, in the middle of the night if you need to, if that's what it takes. Cut a hole in the roof. Hike. Get help from friends. Get help from professionals. So action, effort, initiative, use of resources. Use the red one and the blue one. <laughs> ah, therapists aren't for me. No. Red one and the blue one. I don't think that people in Al-Anon are really my kind of people. I tried one. I tried that medication, and it didn't make me feel good, so I, I stopped. Faith requires us to be tenacious. Does the process feel good? Does it feel good to be asking and seeking and knocking? Does it 
Does it make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? Does it, do you feel confident in this process where you, where you don't know what to do next? Absolutely not. It feels horrible sometimes. Uncomfortable all the time. Awkward. Excuse me, sir. Sitting in your car at night in a dark picnic area, have you seen this person? Awkward. But you know, the woman in the unjust, nasty judge, she just kept going and going and going until what? Jesus says, until she wore him out. She wore him down. And no doubt, she was worn down too. And Jesus said, and that is how you do faith. That is sometimes how you pray. That's how faith works. It works hard. And according to Jesus, that's also how you get things done with God. Faith acted, hiked, organized, phone called, stapled, drove, thought, strategized, packed, printed, stuffed, racked our brains, met, talked with some very strange people, and that's what faith does. And finally, the hard question. Here's the hard question. What if it wouldn't have worked? What would I be saying here today if we did all this stuff only to have a bad result? What then? If it wouldn't have worked, and it's never a guarantee, because what we do is called faith. It's not called certainty. If we did all that and came up with a bad result, which sometimes happens, we still would have done all that we could. There's a saying that goes, pray as if everything depends on God and do work as if everything depends on you. And then be at peace. And then be at peace. Because you know you've done all you can. And that, too, is how faith works. May God bless you in your rugged pursuits of life. Amen.
we go from this place into this glorious gift that God has given and gives again and again every day that we open our eyes, every time that we take a breath, every time that our heart beats one more time, may we go and may God be in your head and in your understanding. May God be in your eyes and in your clear-sightedness. May God be in your mouth and in the words that you carefully choose to speak, words that can help or words that can harm. May God be in your heart and in the fullness of your loving. May God be in your hands, in your embracing, and in your uplifting, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.